Andrew, it's the end of March. We've been talking about the NFL TV booths for weeks. I thought finally we were going to be done, and you broke yet another story. It's never going to be done. Kevin Burkhardt going to be doing two of the next three Super Bowls, and we got a lot of March Madness to talk. My goodness, what a contest. And we're back, the Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. John, let's do it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? Kevin Burkhart gets my who's up. How could he not? He's going to call two of the next three Super Bowls. He replaces Joe Buck at Fox as their lead NFL announcer. We'll get into who his analyst possibly could be later. But listen, the outpouring for Burkhart was all over the internet. He's known around New York because of his time with uh, FAN and WCBS, Sirius XM, SNY, of course, uh, as a great guy. Uh, and the interesting thing about him 20 years ago, he wasn't thinking about getting out of the business, but he's trying to make ends meet selling Chevys in New Jersey. And then he got his big break, first WCBS radio doing updates, then FAN, and then the SNY thing led to these big things. Uh, he also did Cowboys games uh, for Compass uh, before he ended up at Fox. And now Joe Buck leaves. Who would have thought that? Kevin Burke would be doing two of the next three Super Bowls, uh, but uh, well-deserved, and I think he'll do a good job. Likeable guy. I took notice of all the comments on Twitter when uh, after you broke that story. I'm going to go who's up. I'm going to give it to Jim DiLorenzo. He's the guy who's running the sports department at Apple. And I'm giving him the nod because of Coda, which won Best Picture at the Oscars on Sunday. So give me a second. I'm going to tie all this around. Exactly. All right. Let me see. Put a bow on this. I I promise. All right. Apple launched Apple TV Plus just over two years ago. And this Oscar win pretty much ensures that it's going to continue to bet on video. And I expect, and I think I know you expect that sports is going to become much more important uh, to Apple as it continues to bet on video. So uh, it's not that I thought Apple started wavering in any way, but expect the success of Coda to make DiLorenzo's job at sports a lot harder. And the reason is that the entertainment side of the business just proved that it could deliver on its vision that it promised to Tim Cook. Can DiLorenzo do the same with sports? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll talk about their schedule a little bit later. Uh, Starting with the Mets and Nationals uh, and how that will work out for Apple TV+. Plus. All right, my who's down? Grand Hill. Now, last year I had him on the way up. Uh, I thought he was really good. First two rounds, he worked with Iron Eagle, two-man booth, enthusiasm, information. And look, Grand Hill's kind of representing that number one team for, for CBS. It's not bad. We'll talk about it in a little bit. It's just not good. I just find like Hill hasn't taken that step uh, forward um, that we were seeing last year. And the three, they've been together for seven years and granted they only work one month a year and then they take 11 months where they probably don't even see each other, uh, which makes it difficult. But Grant Hill has not kind of gone that next step. He was going so uh, far forward last year. Now, uh, again, not bad, just not like where you want Grant Hill to go in his development uh, as a analyst in the three-man booth uh, with Nance and Raftery. Three-man booths, those are tough, Andrew. They're, t- they're totally tough. And the Elite Eight, a lot of blowouts, so it it's makes it even harder to call a good game there. I'm going to go who's down. Uh, I'm going to go back to the RSN well, as I have a, a lot of times in the past. 
Here's a scene. It's the middle of the timeout with the Warriors, the Heat coach, Eric Spolstra, and two players, Udonis Haslam and Jimmy Butler, get into heated shouting matches. They have to be separated from each other. Spolstra takes his clipboard and slams it onto the ground of the court. Uh, everybody saw this video. It was a viral video. The uh, Golden State Warriors uh, RSN clipped it and put it out there. Everybody saw it, except for fans of the Miami Heat who are watching on Bally Sports in Miami. The Heat decided, the team decided that the hometown viewers shouldn't, shouldn't have to see something that they felt uh, uh, portrayed the team in, in a negative light. So who's down on my list? I'm gonna give it to Lori Ann Diaz. She's the Heat's VP of Business Communications. And she's the one who told the Miami Herald that it was a team's decision. And she seemed to intimate that they would make this decision going forward. And Andrew, we've talked about this in the past. It's a decision that makes no sense Teams are trying to draw fans. They're trying to get younger and they want to keep a viral video off their air, sending viewers to other outlets to see it. This right here is a problem when you get teams and leagues trying to control their own content. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to bring, put a lid on it and you're going to lose all credibility in the process. And the idea you can control all information in the internet age is ridiculous it's short-sighted like they they i get it when teams and leagues own these networks there is a desire to be like why are we paying people and then they're going to criticize us but if you want to be trusted if you want to make your network a place that people want to turn to you have to do that and when you don't you're just going to shine more light onto these issues and uh you look bad in the process andrew in the late 1990s as like almost 30 years ago the orioles fired john miller a beloved radio announcer who basically said when the Orioles didn't play well. He, he mentioned that he treated the, the, his audience like they were adults. I have friends, diehard Orioles fans, that stopped supporting the Orioles the second they, they let go of John Miller wow. and, uh, and, and just never went back to Camden Yards. You, you, you have a contract with your fans and that really hurts it. I like those friends. You should base all your decisions off of sports media. Every. <laughs> Everything you should decide in your life should be based off of something dealing with sports media, but they haven't come back since. Uh, well, now now the DC has the Nats, so they were very happy to uh, to get somebody else to cheer for. So the Nats are straightforward. All right, we'll have to look into that. I don't know if they're straightforward, but uh, but John Miller was somebody that was really beloved. Really Aren't the Nats and the Orioles? Not, they're the only ones not going on the road and all of baseball. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That was a, that was a who's down from last week. In yeah, fact, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not good. Andrew, let's move on uh, straight to the topics and let's talk about your story. Kevin Burkhart taking over number one play-by-play -play announcer for Fox Sports. I have a couple of questions. We, uh, based off uh, off your reporting and stuff that I've heard as well, like we, it was kind of expected that Burkhart was going to step up in, in, into that chair. What's going on with the analyst beat? Greg Olson is the guy to beat in that spot, right? So. If you're Fox, you're looking at it like you have Greg Olson. He's your number two. We know he's there and we can uh, figure out, do we need to, you know, rip up his contract, change that up? He's not getting that Aikman, et cetera, money, Romo money. Uh, he's only in his second year. If I were him, if they, I would take a deal. What You know, I take what they offer and do really well to the next th three Super Bowls and the money is going to be there. 
uh, in the future. And, and especially with the other things he wants to do in the podcast world, it's what a platform he would have. So I just think you want to get that job. I wouldn't personally, um, you know, you want to get paid somewhat what you deserve. Um, but remember when Romo came in, he made $3 million to, to three to $4 million a year for his first contract. So to me, that's sort of the range now where you, you're Greg Olson, uh, maybe you, you might shoot for, I think he's at about 1.7 uh, million uh, from Fox. Uh, so uh, maybe a little bit of a raise, but you want to get that job. That said, I think that they're looking around a little bit. They don't feel like there's nobody else, everyone else, all the chairs are filled in terms of the number one analyst. So someone, if you want a wild card, Phil Rivers is someone who has repeatedly shown he doesn't want to do it, but I do think Fox would um, like to hear what he sounds like. Uh, he's a guy, you know, Sean Payton, um, there's been reports of, of, of him doing it. I don't see that. He's, I think they look at him more as a studio guy, maybe in that number two spot. I don't see how you could go Sean Payton over Greg Olson. I even Phil Rivers over Greg Olson. I'm not sure you could do that. When you put a rookie in there, uh, as good as Kevin Burkhardt is as setting up his analyst, uh, you're taking a chance in the Super Bowl year. Fox has always viewed itself as having the deepest bench. You took their number one team, which is Buck and Aikman, put them over at ESPN. You promoted their number two team, uh, Burkhart and Greg Olson. They're now going to be the number one team most likely. I just want to interrupt you there just because I'm, I don't want to, I, like Burkhart, we were talking last week, kind of knew it's going to be Burkhart. I think it probably will be Greg Olson, but I don't think that's a definite. I think there's other people. The other one people talk about is John Lynch. I don't think that's happening. The 49ers GM uh, work with Burkhart. Uh, previously, those two are tight as well, but he said no to Amazon uh, right away after one dinner when they came after him, I'm talking about Lynch. Uh, and then uh, I just don't see it. I think he's committed to the middle of free agency and he's that type of guy. Although this two Super Bowls in the next three years, uh, possibly doing this for the next 20 years could be something that uh, you, know, you would think could interest Lynch, but I think he's committed to the 49ers. He said no after one dinner. Where was that dinner? <laughs> Uh, I think the dinner was at his house, actually. Oh, okay. I thought he, he invited them over. Great. All right, so, put me on the spot asking me where the dinner was. I didn't know where the dinner was. It was I think it was at Lynch's house. It could, could have been like at a McDonald's and it would be like, I'm out. I'm out, guys. Who is poised to step in to be the number two team at Fox? Right, so there are some choices. I would say Adam Amin is in there. Joe Davis is in there. Joe Davis is likely... Uh, another one pretty much expected. He's going to be replacing Joe Buck on the World Series, working with John Smoltz. Uh, so Joe Davis is someone who can move into that number two slot. Gus Johnson, wild card, who's number one college football play-by-player. Uh, -play could they move him to, uh, to the NFL? I don't think so. I think they'll stick, keep him on college and just do some NFL like they did uh, in previous years. But if I were to guess, I probably right now would go Adam Amin getting that number two slot. Maybe Davis. I think if you're looking at what Fox is doing, um, Brad Zager, their executive producer, has added these guys the last couple of years. Tried to you if you look at the turnover at Fox over the last few years and the announcer um, play by players, especially and analysts uh, on NFL, they've done they've changed things. Um, and I think if you look at what the situation that some of these networks have gotten into, where they just kind of have everyone do all the big events, and Fox had that with Joe Buck. He was doing the Super Bowl. He was doing the World Series. When they had golf, he was their main golf guys. Nance at CBS, same thing with Jim Nance. You know, they have Nance doing the top games for the NCAA tournament, even though he doesn't do the uh, basketball all year. He, he's with Romo on the NFL. And then, of course, where he's best at is golf 
uh, and the masters, et cetera. Your network it used to be you spread it out a little bit. And I just think where cost is, that probably might make your, your cost a little bit easier. You can defer it a little bit, even though you're paying three people um, in, in theory when they're doing, if you have two, three different people, maybe you don't have to pay them as much each um, to do that. Uh, and I just think you, you protects yourself a little bit more. You don't get in that situation where you have one person. So to answer your question, that's why I probably think Amin could be Davis. I think Davis might be better in football than he is on baseball, but I like Adam Amin a lot too. Uh, so, so I didn't answer it fully because I don't know. I don't think they know. So that's one of those no, things. But you gave, you gave the names, but you didn't yes. mention any analysts. Who's, who's sitting there possibly to slip into the number two chair as the analyst? Yeah, let me also mention Kevin Kugler, um, who they like. I don't think he'll get it, but I think he's, he's worth mentioning. You know, they also have Kenny Albert, uh, who's been at that number two slide. I don't think he'll get it, but, you know, he's doing fine with the, with the uh, Stanley Cup. So they're deep. Um, then the analyst side, look, someone they like a lot is Mark Sanchez. I'm not saying he's going to get it. But if you were to ask me someone who's kind of on the way up in their eyes, uh, Sanchez is someone. I think John Vilma is someone they would consider as well. He worked with Kenny Albert. I think Sanchez is someone I think to watch internally. Now, could they go externally? Could they try a Sean Payton? The problem with Payton is he's kind of shown an inclination that he wants to coach. Uh, So you're going to spend all this time, pass over other people, and he's going to go coach the Cowboys in a year. Uh, So I think that hurts Peyton a little bit, even though now he's kind of backtracked and that's like, hey, no, maybe I'll be in TV forever. And maybe he will. Um, but I think he's more of a studio guy. The headline to me, Andrew, is that free agent frenzy has been downgraded. It's no longer a frenzy, but there's still some movement and these stories aren't going to end. What is it then? You got to give me a alliteration. It's uh, a fracas, a free agent. What, what we got? Oh, fracas. I like that one. That's good. Free agent finale. It never is over though. It hasn't percolated for a long time. Uh, in terms of this type of movement. And he had the Romo contract, but he just stayed at CBS. And that was kind of a frenzy because ESPN was going after him, but he ended up staying at CBS. I don't know if if these jobs will, you know, they might change over a little bit more than they have in the past. Um, You know, those, those older guys have kind of held on to those, those jobs forever. Uh, And a lot of them are great. You know, Al Michaels is great. You know, obviously it loosens it up a little bit. And, And I think, you know, networks, they have to look at what they're doing and, and and figuring things out as we go forward, especially with the, what they're paying these guys. You've got to be worth it. You gotta be doing a good job. Like you you start making 15, 18, 12 and a half million dollars, all these guys, Collinsworth, Aikman, Romo, you better produce. You better do a good job. You know, one one of the complaints I consistently hear from TV executives is that it's so hard to develop young talent because there's no young talent. We, I consider Kevin Burkhardt sort of like a young play-by-play uh, guy, and he's he, he's in his late forties now. He's so forty-eight. A, yeah, exactly. There's a, that's not. Well, <laughs> well, it's young, to, it's have, young to me. It's young to these me. These guys have hung on forever. I mean, again, Al Michaels is great, but he's seventy-seven. You know, gonna this contract will take him to what eighty. And so with Amazon, you know, th- this is a great job. I mean, Jim Nance. Um, you know, he's these days age is different, but he's in his going to be, I think, 63 this year. Someone like Ian Eagles in his 50s, you know, I don't you know, he's not a young I mean, it's not old necessarily. You know, as we as all of us get older, we're all like, oh, that's not old. Yeah, <laughs> that was, sounds young now. Yeah, exactly. When I was 22, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say 50 somethings, you know, I would say that, you know, but the people are healthier, living longer, you only work five months a year. So Kirk Herbstreit is going to have a busy schedule. But OK, come uh, January the 20th, he's done, right? There's no more college football. There's no more NFL for him. Uh, and then you don't start up for real until August. Uh, so uh, it's a pretty good gig. 
Who's going to pitch us that story about how busy he's working? Is it going to be ESPN PR or Amazon PR? Which one? Prediction. <laughs> I don't Prediction. know. Yeah, I'm not writing that. That's all, all right. Let's go. I mean, he, he will be working hard. That, that will be a lot. That's going to be interesting to watch because it is a lot to, to know and doing these games a little harder than people think. But uh, Crimea River, you know, flying uh, private jets and, uh, you know, uh, he's making a lot of money. And again, it's half a year. So, um, but uh, he will be working hard. All right, let's go into the next topic, which is the NCAA tournament, which for me, if I'm CBS or I'm Turner, the, the viewership has been up, of course, but it's everything they wanted. It's a ton of upsets and then a final four filled with blue bloods. How do you view everything that's, that's transpired over the past couple of weeks? Well, first off, props to us now for knowing what blue bloods are, because a couple know, of podcasts true. ago, we were debating what blue bloods are. It's and not now Kentucky know. bluegrass. That's what it's called. That's why. No, no, no. That's what I suggested. Possibly. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's because of these, these like the top notch, uh, you know, uh, basketball programs are known as the blue bloods. Yeah. So they got CBS Turner's, well, especially really Turner. Cause they, they, they have the final four TBS. Yeah. You couldn't ask for more. You want those great stories. St. Peter's is one of the great stories uh, of all time. Get that, but you don't want them in the final four. If you're TBS, you know, if, as, as great a story, that one might've penetrated, I think, but you really want North Carolina Duke. Those are the two heavyweights. Those are the teams people know. And what a story uh, getting Coach K in there. Uh, those numbers are going to be really amazing, I think, for uh, Turner. A lot of interest. Amazing for Turner. I am curious, though, because it always comes down when it's on cable compared to when it's on uh, broadcast television and CBS. Th this Final Four has such tradition-rich teams that consistently bring the biggest ratings. I mean, Duke Carolina was a the biggest audience during regular season by far for college basketball. I'm curious to see where it does fall. I will say it's still for whatever reason, maybe this shows my age. When it's on CBS, it feels bigger to me. Uh, with all due respect to my friends at Turner, uh, it just does. It feels bigger when it's on broadcast TV. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think that there are a lot of younger cord cutters that probably agree with you because you can finally watch it. All right, so what have you thought of the broadcast? Uh, you know, the, the broadcast has, has been sort of uneven. I feel bad because the Elite Eight games were all blowouts. I think that's very difficult to, to do it. One thing that I've noticed, though, and I know Ian Eagle is the, like the, the hero of the Twitterati. Social media loves Ian Eagle. You and I think that he's the, the best uh, basketball play-by-play -play person in, in uh, this tournament right now. I've been doing Twitter polls about uh, you know the announcers and Ian Eagle wins everyone going away. I almost want to take him out of the polls to see sort of how everybody else falls out. I wrote this last year. I think he should do the uh, final four. Uh, I think he might be, I said this the other day on Twitter, he might be the best uh, basketball play-by-player -player going. I mean, I think it's he, him and Mike Breen and then the next levels below. Uh, he just brings the energy uh, that I don't think you get with Nance. Like, and my, my thing with Nance and that three man booth, uh, he just, it doesn't feel like fun. Uh, it's not, you know, Jim Nance does a, he doesn't make big mistakes. It's, it's, but it's just, there's nothing special about it. Like I, you know, Jim Nance really built his reputation on doing the masters on being a host. Uh, that's where he's best. Now he's been a play-by-play -play guy for a long time. There's just no oomph there for with Nance that I find. Um, and it's not as fun. And I think, you know, I mentioned Grand Hill at the beginning, that three-man booth, you got Rafter. It's just not, there's just not as much enjoyment when you're watching the game as when you have an Eagle and a Spinarco or last year, Eagle and, and Grand Hill. Last week on this pod, we highlighted Andrew Catalan, 
who uh, was called a cheerleader getting a basketball that was lodged in the basket. Uh, Jim Nance had a similar call this week. Let's listen to it. Bring out the sweeper. We saw this earlier in the tournament, a cheerleader yeah. for Indiana. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are. Oh, there we go. go. How about that? A great moment here for I was going to volunteer. I was yeah. going to volunteer you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can get up there. Oh, uh, we'd be here for a while. <laughs> In my era, there was a guy named Jumping Jackie Jackson. Could take a quarter off the top of the backboard. Uh, pretty impressive. We didn't need him tonight. I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Andrew. I, I'm a big fan of Jim Nance. I think that he is an elite play-by-play -play announcer. I would want his voice on the Masters. I think it's really good on the NFL. Uh, Something about college basketball, I, I don't want him shouting like Gus Johnson, but J Gus Johnson is what, what, what is the essence of, of the tournament. Like he gets excited, like like uh, Ian Eagle, he's able to get that big voice and really get excited and, and, and play along here. And the sense of fun, uh, it just doesn't seem to be coming through so far in this tournament with that uh, number one group. Yeah, it's a rhythm and it's also from doing games. Um, you know, we talked about this earlier, you know, Eagle had the North Carolina game uh, with Caleb Love was going off. Eagle, I, I don't think, I don't know, did he write these things? I, he worked tweeting at me. I don't know the answer, but was he, did he write these all down? All these love puns? Uh, but but here's Eagle's in his 50s. He, he has the dad jokes like on autopilot. Let's listen to that clip, Andrew. Maddox gives it up. Baycott swing. Love. Oh! for the Tar Heels. He can't hunt a shot down faster. He couldn't get up to the offense and then Roy Williams really loves it. Yeah, he's having fun with it and, and that's what ultimately it is and he does it in like a subtle way, right? There, there. If you do that, you need to know what you're doing and be in control of the broadcast. He also makes these little references to things. Some of them I don't even get, but like, the, you know, it's just like they're subtle where they're not going to annoy you if you don't understand them. But if you do like either cowbell one uh, that he had um, uh, with the, uh, who was it Dickinson, the fever, you know, th those things that people love that. And it's just subtle and he's just prepared. And he gives you little things and he also leads his analysts in the right direction. And he's the, he's the best play by player. I wrote it last year. It's old news now, personally, our CBS, he, I'd have, like, like I said, last year, I'd have him doing the final four. I think uh, he's just superior on uh, basketball. I also want to give one other quick uh, shout out an old veteran. Uh, I, he used to, he used to do the ACC games on uh, Jefferson pilot Raycom teleproductions down, down here in the, the, the DC market, but Dan Bonner, who is with Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller, I think is possibly the most underrated college basketball analyst of my lifetime. I just think that he's really, really good at what he does. And he, he, he doesn't have, doesn't appear to have a big ego. He's just sort of like, he watches the game. He calls it as he sees it. And I, I just, I appreciate Dan Bonner and I'm glad to see him so visible as to be calling an elite eight game. Yeah, one more props. We should give Bob Fishman, uh, who's been directing forever, his final, final four. Uh, so uh, respect to him uh, for an outstanding career. Uh, and now it ends uh, with this classic Final Four. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and what was also fun to watch is the women's, uh, you know, tournament so far. Uh, when we're taping it, this has just, just happened. Uh, the UConn women uh, beat NC State. Uh, and, and you had some things that you, you noted in that game. Ryan Rucco, Rebecca Lobo on the play-by-play. -play. We'll get to them a little bit later.
called a week foreshadowing possibly foreshadow i love it <laughs> a little foreshadowing that's called professional broadcasting all you broadcasters listening anyways what, what do you got john first of all that was the game of both tournaments it was exciting it went to two overtimes but what really struck me was holly Rowe, who has quite quietly turned herself into i i think one of the best sideline reporters that are out there let's listen to how she interviewed the winning coach kino ariema after the game i know people see that you're now going to 14 straight final fours and they think this is just old hat to you but coach i see you trembling you're shaking this means so much to you why um i think you know i i, I think when you're younger you know you think i got a million of these left in me you know and you get to a certain age then where you go i don't know how many of these i have left i mean andrew that was classic it wasn't like how do you feel good what does this mean to you a lot i mean she said did you know i see you trembling you're shaking this means so much to you why and then left left the question open to where gina it's obvious they had a relationship it's obvious that she knew she wasn't going to get a one-word answer but she, the, the way she went into the, those questions, the way she asked those questions, she had a complete knowledge of, of the game that she was watching. Uh, she had a complete knowledge of the teams, uh, of the sport. And she didn't have a producer, I don't think, in her ear, like sort of like trying to tell her what to say. She just sort of knew it. I thought that was one of the best post-game interviews I've ever seen, regardless of sports. Well, I think one thing you really want to do is notice like what you need to be in the moment. Like, again, this is a different subject. And I think it showed um, Holly Rose experience. But like, I watched the White House hearings. This isn't about Biden or Trump or any of them, but just in general. And they all have like their questions written down. And it's always like they don't they never react like they're not. It, I feel like when I watch, maybe I'm, I'm sure there are times where where people are actually listening, but you have to listen to what your subject is saying and then follow up. And that's where the magic is. That's how you break stories. That's how you get good information is by listening and then reacting. And in this scenario, uh, Holly Rowe did a good job. First off, noticing uh, Gio uh, Oriyama being emotional uh, and then seizing off that to, to ask him about that and to get him to open up more. In fact, Biden had a press conference just this week where uh, somebody asked him three questions at once and he responded he goes well you asked three questions i'll answer you let him pick the questions he wants to answer it's like it, it, yeah, it's don't get me started on the multiple questions never ask multiple oh, questions God. if you want to take control of that press conference say i have two questions i'm going to ask them one at a time now sometimes you can get somebody you ask the one and then they take the mic away from you or they don't so you got to be a little careful with that but when you ask multiple questions, you don't tell them which one you want them to ask or whatever. They're going to take the easiest question. They're going to they're going to ignore the other two. That'll happen a hundred out of a hundred times. Uh, if you go three, I mean, two's bad enough, but three—that's ridiculous. I mean, experienced reporters need to know that. I mean, I know. I don't think I said this a million times. Reporters do not think enough about their questions. That's the only weapon we really have. You should be thinking about how you're going to ask things, how you're going to approach things. And in general, I find that, um, from my experience, that people don't do that enough. That's my feeling. Let's move to topic four, NFL streaming service, NFL Plus. We need more pluses. We got ESPN Plus. We got Apple Plus. We got New York Post Plus. You can get my newsletter every Mondays. Uh, subscribe uh, at New York Post Plus uh, on the internet. Now we got NFL Plus. What do you got, John? Give, give, give us the lowdown on what this is. All right, there's no SBJ Plus, all right? There's just SBJ. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> like, good for Peacock. 
Paramount, no, they got a plus. Paramount has a plus. That, that somehow Anybody plus who doesn't have a plus, streaming. I give you props there. for no pluses. It's not just the NFL. Every single league is looking into, into streaming. This is, this is almost like 20 years ago when every single league was looking into launching their own TV network. And now it's like, oh, well, we can control the, our content by, by putting it on streaming. What I find to be interesting about what the uh, NFL is looking to do, and they, uh, Brian Rolap, the top business executive at the NFL, he didn't say that they're definitely doing NFL Plus, but he said it's something that they're considering, that they're sort of looking into. And it's, it's a place where they have all the mobile rights uh, and they, they want to take those mobile rights and just put it in their own streaming service and then possibly, you know, sell that as part of their media package. Or, um, you know, they just want to be able to have more control. Imagine this, the NFL wanting more control. I can't imagine that. They, they want more control over their rights. And, and I think that's, that's where this is and how it, how it comes out, whether it's going to be in market games, it's going to be, uh, you know, highlights. It's, so it, it's basically the, the mobile offering. And they're going to package it up, call it NFL Plus, and then put a, a nice price tag on it for some, you know, uh, media company to come and, and pick it up. NFL Films is going to partner with a Hollywood studio. John, what is going on? Are we going to get a, what are we getting, movies? So we've been reporting about, you know, Amazon and Apple, and they're, they're circling the NFL, trying to buy the NFL media business. Well, now, like, they're, they're taking a big part of that media business, uh, potentially in, in mobile, and they're, you know, launching, they might be launching their own streaming service. And then they're taking another big part of that media business in NFL films, and they're sort of exploring with Hollywood companies about setting up a, a partnership that would be a sports studio in Hollywood. And the reason for this actually goes back to the way you intro this, this segment, Andrew. All of the pluses out there, they all need content. I mean, it is right now, it's what John Skipper's doing with uh, Meadowlark Media. It's what, you know, the uh, all these different uh, companies are doing. It's a great time to be in content because you have so many buyers that are spending so much money to try to bring as much content to their streaming service as they can. And th th this is a way for the NFL to really profit off of that. All right, is that gonna be good? <laughs> <laughs> Long that's what you call in the business. That's what you call keep a that in. We're not listening. I know you guys are listening to this now. John might be, let's edit that. I said, will this be good? Long pause. A pregnant right. pause. Absolutely. Yes. It might be good. Maybe they'll produce one good thing. Will NFL film stuff be good? Yeah. NFL, yeah, NFL film stuff is good. They're going to be really good. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Final topic before we get to David Cohn, uh, Apple TV plus first game nationals Mets. Max Scherzer's debut, uh, most likely for the Mets. And you're going to have to tell your parents and your grandparents how to find it. It is going to be, no matter how many times we write it, no matter how many times we say it, I think that is going to be a bleep show. I have a feeling. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think people are not going to be happy, especially in New York. I know people love their uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron. Uh, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez doing the games. Won't have that. Won't be able to find it on SNY. That is not going to go over well. Take that to the bank. Look, this is a common theme. Welcome to streaming, baseball fans. This is what soccer fans have had to deal with. It's what tennis fans have had to deal with. It's what hockey fans have had to deal with. Now it's hitting baseball. And if you want to see all of the games and some of the important games, like Scherzer's first start with the Mets, that's going to get huge ratings. Against the Nats, too. 
I know exactly. It's a, a division rival. This is where everything's going. Uh, the, the, the cable bundle that we're getting away from, it looks so good now, doesn't it? Yeah, we've said that forever. Me and you have been ah. ahead of that. I think it's going to be free at first. Uh, and then and then I don't think they're the first, I think, 10 games that I saw, I don't know if there are any Mets or Yankees, is, you know, after that. But a uh, big net game uh, to start that thing off. I get it. You have to cause friction to get people to, to subscribe to these things and to know about them. Uh, but uh, I don't know. That's going to, I might have eased into it a little bit. I just think that's going to be a bad start for Apple TV Plus. I don't think people are going to like that. You may have to, uh, you know, redo your, uh, your next, uh, Who's up with Jim DeLorenzo? I don't know if he's going to get it. I've never spoken to Jim DeLorenzo. So I'm sorry, Jim, but I don't know. You could be on the way down with that one. All right, John, time for the big get. It's David Cohn. Cohn, of course, won five World Series, threw a perfect game, um, and most importantly, was a go-to guy for reporters in the clubhouse. Now he's a stalwart on the Yes Network. He's a podcast for John Boy Media called Towing the Slab. And he will be on Sunday night baseball as a game analyst with Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez. That's a mouthful, David. You've done a lot. Uh, now you're on the Marcian Orange Sports Media Podcast, and we appreciate it. My pleasure. Now I'm really overexposed at this point. On this <laughs> podcast, I don't know. It's only downhill from here. Exactly. How many more jobs are you going to have? <laughs> I know. It's true. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I'm supposed to be cutting back at this point in my life, I think. And I, I'm taking on more. So we'll see how it goes. So, David, I want to get it started. Let, let's go back to, to your time as a player. Andrew described you as sort of a, a go-to uh, player for, for reporters. You uh, pitched in Toronto and Kansas City. How much worse is the New York media? Well, it's just it's such it's more of everything. I describe New York that way in general. It's just everything. There's more of everything. Good, bad, all of it in between. Um you know, the media coverage, obviously, it's very competitive and you have to understand that. And I think you learned that at an early stage in my career that if you're in front of your locker, good, bad or indifferent, and you, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. If you're honest, you're authentic and you don't run and hide in the trainer's room when you have a bad game. I think that's the key. If you were to, to, to spin that forward to today, so you did it during the 90s, you know, there no certainly no Twitter then, no social media, the, the Internet sort of in its infancy. How are the players reacting today? to the media? What, what would, what advice would you give them? My advice would be that whatever you're, you're learning along the way in these media training sessions that every organization now has, that there's a caveat to it that you need to understand. And that is be honest and authentic and be yourself. You don't have to uh, give the clan, you know, the canned cliches anymore. You, you know, people want honest answers. They want to see your, your personality. It's okay to be you. Don't worry about making a mistake. And it seems like that's been driven home in a lot of these kids up through the minor leagues as they've been trained of, you know, be careful. The media is not your friend. And, you you know, you, you don't give them anything that, that you don't have to. And I, I would I would counter that with just the opposite. Actually, it's your brand. It's, 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 it's your legacy. Be yourself. Be authentic. Be honest and uh, show them your personality a little bit. And you'll be surprised how far that can go. Did you consider uh, specific reporters to be your friend? I, no, I, you know, I, I think the game has changed in terms of um, just access, you know, obviously COVID has been a big part of that over the last couple of years, but we used to go out to the hotel bars with the beat writers. You know, I used to have drinks after the games with the beat writers back in the eighties and the nineties. So we knew each other and there was a trust factor that was built up there. There were things you could tell them that would stay under their hat, so to speak, or on background, however you want to call it. That, that there was kind of this, uh, you know, this trust uh, that was built up over, over the course of both 
on the job and then, you know, outside the job, maybe go to dinner. We'd, we'd see them at restaurants. So I think that's a thing of the past. And that's unfortunate. I think the players need to, to, uh, to, to respect and get to know the personalities of some of the writers, especially the beat writers who are living the same life, same, except for the money, <laughs> the same road life, maybe different hotels on the road, obviously looking for Marriott's and points, but it's, it's the same life. You know, it really is. They're grinding along with you in a competitive world and players need to understand it's not about them. You know, these writers have, a, have, have to compete amongst themselves too. They have a right to compete. They have a right to be good at what they do, just like they, just like you do as players. So I, I think that respect needs, needs to be built up. Yeah. I think it also, what you said kind of implies that there wasn't uh, some transparency, like that the writers who knew you well were sort of, yeah, I mean, obviously they might've saw some things that they didn't write about that today because of social media. However, there are a lot of stories there that they found out about that because of the trust you built up with reporters that you got to know, uh, fans got to know you better. And some of the stuff obviously wasn't always good. It wasn't always good, but it certain, certainly aired. And what it did was it, it allowed the writers to um, add layers of nuance to whatever they were writing about certain individuals uh, you, because you knew them, because maybe you heard stories about them and then, Whatever happened during that, the course of the season, you could read their body language. You could sort of read between the lines and understand the personality of the players better because you, you understood them. You knew them personally. So that made for better writing. That made for better storytelling. That made for better everything. And, and yeah, lines were crossed. Yeah, there were players that would get pissed off because, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, you went a little too far with that one. But you could handle it because it was face-to-face in the clubhouse because there was access. You would see these. You would see these writers in the clubhouse. You would see them on the road. You'd see them in the hotel bars. There, there was, there was no hiding back then. Today, there seems to be a lot of hiding among the players. You know, even when I'm in the clubhouse, I look around and where, where are they? You know, it's a bunch of writers waiting around the middle of a clubhouse, waiting for somebody to stand in front of their locker. What we do in the media is, is actually, I would say. 95 percent is probably positive probably helpful and then there's the five percent which i always tried to take care of of the negative when i cover the yankees i'm just kidding uh <laughs> there is that part of it um so so let me take me back though to, for, to let's get into your broadcasting career um when you were coming out as a player you had i think an opportunity to work with sny and then yes how did that go down and how close did you come to working with sny and doing the met games and now that's an acclaimed team with Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, and Gary Cohn. How close did you come with being part of that crew instead of with Yes? Very close. Oh, it was uh, Kirk Gowdy Jr. and John Littner at the time that were, were the decision makers and at the top of the food chain. And they were starting up a new network. And I had tried to make a comeback and finish my career with the Mets in 2003. And uh, it wasn't, didn't go so well. And my hip gave out on me. I had to retire in, in May. So, yes, I mean, I was pretty close. They needed a full commitment. They needed a full schedule. They wanted the regular crew to do most of the games. And I just wasn't ready to, to do that at that time. I had some personal issues at the time. I was going through a divorce. Uh, I, I certainly was not that far removed from playing. So my mindset wasn't ready just to jump in and do it full time. You know, I, I, I kind of was looking more for more of a part time role, similar to what the Yes Network ended up offering on down the road. And now you, you also have thought about, I think, managing or coaching. You interviewed with the Yankees a couple of years ago uh, for the pitching coach job. How close do you feel like you came to that one? And where do you look at it in terms of the future for you? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how close I came, but I, it was a serious interview. So I was thankful for that. I mean, they really put me through the car wash, as they say. And they, it was the entire organization and every department that I went through. So it was very thorough. I, I would have taken the job had, had it been offered. Um, but I think that I'd sat out a little too long. Maybe uh, 
from a technological standpoint, I, I needed some more continuing education, even though I cover that in broadcasting now in terms of analytics or sabermetrics or whatnot. Uh, if you've heard my broadcast, you know I have a growth mentality towards those things, but I would have had to play a lot of catch up in order to, to get up to speed. And, and, and uh, that just uh, was a little bit daunting, I think, for the Yankees to take that chance at that point. That's why they went with a young guy, Matt Blake, who can build a biomechanics laboratory that you need nowadays that understands the, the high-tech tools that are necessary to use for the kids coming up through the minor leagues that they're used to training with. Yeah, but he never pitched in a seventh game of the World Series. So I think that, there's that was my talk. argument to Cashman, actually. That's, that was my final line was, who do you want talking to Garrett Cole in the seventh inning of, of game seven? So they uh, didn't work. All right. Well, yeah, you can't get out your biomechanics at that point. So you, uh, you know, we're basically part-time uh, with the S network. Uh, you added in, you know, the ESPN game. What made you want to sort of increase your workload and, and do something national? It's Sunday night. You know, that that's one of the best seats in, in our sport in baseball. You know, if you've, you know, you've got the world series, either you're doing the world series or you're doing Sunday night baseball. So it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. You know, I was at a crossroads in my career and I, I've talked to Andrew about this and am I going to jump back in and try to be a coach? Do I have to go to the minor leagues and get my feet wet again and get a little experience? Do I want to take the broadcasting uh, effort to the next level? And, you know, when Sunday night comes call and ESPN says, Hey, we want you to be in that booth on Sunday night. That's just an opportunity that I thought right here, right now, I better take it because it probably won't come around again. Now, this has been going on a couple of years in terms of you and ESPN. How close when it was Matt Vaskirgin and A-Rod, you know, I think Jessica Mendoza, um, they, they, she moved on to other responsibilities at ESPN. They were thinking about adding a third person, and, and I think it, it was, I reported, it was you. Um, how close did that come to happening, and you know, what was that process? It was um, similar to interviewing for the Yankee pitching coach job. You know, I went up to Bristol and went through their car wash, and they believe me, they have one too up there, it's several different layers that – you go through talking to different different uh, heads of state, so to speak, and uh, it was interesting. And I, I would have taken that job too. I would have jumped right in there with with Alex and, and Matt if 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 the opportunity presented itself. It didn't. There, there was some talk around maybe some other work up there at that time a couple of years ago, maybe a Wednesday Wednesday night or some other alternative uh, position there. But that didn't really work with my Yes Network schedule. I'm under contract with the Yes Network, and they would only allow me to work on Sunday night at this point. They didn't want any sort of a competing game or a competing night where I would, I, you know, I'd be going against the Yankees or against the yes network working for ESPN. So Sunday night was the gig. It was sort of Sunday night or nothing. And here I am finally, finally being able to, uh, to, to sit in that booth and, and, and work with some great guys. Eddie's great. Eduardo Perez is just a, a funny down to earth guy. Uh, and uh, Carl Ravitch is a consummate pro. He's been around forever. And uh, I've known him since the, 90s i think from him doing baseball tonight so I've, I've always respected his work as well he's going to be a great point guard for us he's going to set us up right and left and it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun how do you look at you know michael k is your partner or one of your partners on yes uh alex rodriguez i know you've known for a long time now they're going to do an alternative broadcast called k rod um that's sort of like a manning cast sort of a, a different kind of broadcast. do you look at that as competition what what do you how do you look at that you guys opening night red sox yankees you guys make your debut together as a trio they're going to be on doing their k-rod thing what do you how do you look at that i think it's gonna be really interesting to see what michael can do with alex i'm, I'm curious to see i you know obviously there's a little bit of competition there when we're going head to head it's it's you just can't deny that but they're not going to be doing a full schedule it's not going to be every, it's not going to be every Sunday night. They're, they, they're probably going to do a handful, maybe 
six to 10, I believe. I'm not even sure the total amount. So we'll have plenty of games where it's, it's just us. It's just the regular Sunday night booth. And it's a nice alternative. If you want uh, the, you know, the straight call of the game and you want to hear a pitcher and a hitters, uh, you know, and Eduardo, uh, the hitter and me, the pitcher talk about the game in a more traditional way, then you, you've got us. If you want something different, then, you know, I, I have a feeling that Michael's going to bring some things out of A-Rod. That, that's Michael K's forte knowing him very well over the years. I think he's going to loosen up Alex a little bit and, and, and get him in a different format. And, and Alex has got a lot to offer. It's just uh, the right guy bringing it out of him, I think, is a key. 100%. Hey, last thing for me, uh, was there a favorite broadcaster you had growing up? Yeah, I still remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, uh, listening to Saturday Games of the Week, whether it was Tony Kubek, was one of my all-time favorites. Actually, Joe Garagiola really... He, he made Louis Tion sound so uh, dramatic, so exotic when he described Louis Tion and the way he pitched, and, you know, just the way he described the game uh, was just remarkable to me as a kid. It was very, I was very impressionable. He made me love the game. Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek made me study the game. So, you know, those two guys to me were, were, were the ones I really loved to listen to. Andrew, I have, I have one final question. We have the, the great Kate, David Cohn on the podcast. I'm from the D.C. area. I could take you back to your playing days. You, you have to agree that Jeffrey Meyer was the worst call in ALCS history. What, what, wouldn't you agree with that, sir? It would be hard to uh, argue with that. I would think so. Yes, it was. I mean, Tony Tarasco was camped. He didn't even jump. He was reaching up to catch the ball. So, yes. And the worst part of that was, and I, I love Richie Garcia, the umpire. He's one of the classiest guys out there. He was standing right there. So, yes, I mean, it's hard to deny, you know, that that particular call was uh, extraordinarily bad. You this just made why... my day. You made my day. Thank you. <laughs> God, this is why, listen, David Cohen, I, I've written it in New York here. He, he's, to me, the best analyst, uh, baseball analyst we got going. I think nationally people are going to find that out on ESPN. Uh, so that's a good job by ESPN hiring uh, David. And, uh, David, we really appreciate you uh, joining us on the pod and uh, good luck this season uh, in all your endeavors. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I've made it to this podcast now. <laughs> Thanks, David. You're Everything big time. else is, is downhill. <laughs> well, it's going to take a lot for an Oriole fan to say a, a Yankee great is was great, but that was a good big get right there, Andrew. Well, you just liked it because he, he gave you, like, I mean, does that make you feel better? You still don't get the title. You no, I'm still mad. Title. I'm still furious. <laughs> There's been Jeffrey Meyer stories every year for like ever like he the guy he played baseball in college i forgot where small college like b3 and like i have his number like everyone in new york has his every reporter has his number and things happen every once in a while you call jeffrey meyer up he's a you know he grew up you know he's a grown man now what a story that was and you still harbor I mean, how many years we're talking 96 or four it's like it's more like quarter century first of all he's a truant and then, and, and, and like, uh, like David Cohen said, we put in a defensive replacement, Tony Tarasco, and he was just standing there waiting to catch a ball. I mean, the whole moment, oh God, we could have won something. Yeah, if there was replay, only if there were replay. Well, let us go to our call of the week. Call of the week. All right, let me set the scene, Andrew. It's uh, the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament. NC State is down three, time's running out in overtime when Jockia Brown-Turner throws up a desperation three-pointer. Here's Ryan Rucco on the call. Here's Perez, four seconds left. Perez floats it, Brown-Turner for the tie! Got it to go! 
37! My goodness, what a contest! Look, that was uh, that was a, just a fantastic call. He had the energy, he had the voice. Ruko is ESPN's top play-by-play voice on the NCAA Women's Tournament, and you can see why. Yeah, he also does the WNBA Finals, so he's he's got those championship games. And, look, that was fun. I mean, women's basketball, um, you know, it's kind of had its moment for a while now, but like, I feel like it's kind of just about to go into even another level in terms of where the tournament is going, the women's tournament, um, just uh, in terms of popularity in terms of the numbers, the ratings. I mean, it's been growing for a while. I mean, this isn't new. Uh, and I think Ruko and Lobo, they have a nice chemistry together. They enjoy each other. And kind of a theme that we talked about in terms of these broadcasts, uh, that comes across. Like We're all choosing to watch. So the people who are doing the games, they have to love it. And you hear that with Ruko and then obviously Lobo, uh, one of the great players of all time. And I don't know. It also it was a little funny though. UConn was home for that. Uh, you know, they're in Bridgeport. They're the two seed. NC State's the one seed. Uh, that had everyone chirping on Twitter, uh, and I understandably so. Is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, which is about 50 minutes or so from Stores, uh, Connecticut, where UConn's located. But uh, but a great call. Uh, and uh, Gino Oriama and UConn go to their was it 14th uh, final four in a row. It's an incredible uh, run that, that, that they've had. I mean, it, it, four, uh, 14 is a, just an amazing number. That's going to do it for us. If you get a chance, you like the podcast, you're listening this far, if you put the five stars on, that helps. Write a nice review. We appreciate it. We saw some uh, from last week. Really nice of uh, everyone. And, and thank you very much uh, for listening. And, of course, thanks to David Cohn for joining us as the big guest. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.